And welcome, everybody. It's a post-game win edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, joined by my partner, EP Ringside, Shap Shots, D-Magazine, NHL guru, Sean Shapiro. And it's one of those things, Sean, where just looking at the course of the game... As we just wrapped up, Stars with a nice victory tonight, tie the game, tie the series at one. It's one of those things where I said, anything you can do, we can do better. Because I, 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 watching game one and then watching game two, Seattle, hard forecheck tonight. Dallas, much harder forecheck, much better in the physicality game, slowing Seattle down. And then, you know, we look at, Faster breakouts, so Seattle couldn't forecheck as much. These are my perceptions. And then, obviously, Dallas getting into the dirty areas, a place that Seattle had some success in Game 1, and uh, really just you know kind of controlled most of this game, got on the power play, and while the power play you know was successful to a point, I thought it created a lot of momentum you know, in the Seattle zone. So when the power play was over, you know, we saw uh, what happened. And even Dave Haxtell referred to that, that they gained a lot of momentum off the power play tonight. Did you see the same thing where it was almost like Dallas? I mean, they played their game, but obviously, you know, said to Seattle, you can play this game. We think we're better at this game. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's definitely a fair way to look at it. For me, one of the biggest things about this one was the stars we talked about this coming out of we talked about this two nights ago um we talked about the adjustment period for the rest of the stars defense not named Miro Heishkinen and it's actually ironic tonight because Miro was minus two tonight yeah <laughs> but uh Lindell, Yanni Hockenpah um Colin Miller Thomas Harley um and not even Harley wasn't even bad last game, but all of the all of the defense looked better prepared for the Seattle forecheck. That was just a big thing right off the bat. Where where we talked about after game one, it seemed like there was just they went from the plotting Minnesota Wild to the fast skating Kraken, and the defense wasn't ready for it. And they were the defense adjusted right away, and they were. And that took away so much out of Seattle's offense. So much of Seattle's offense is built on creating chaos and havoc and confusion for opposing defenses. And the Stars' defense handled it very, very well. We saw more little uh, D to D passes with composure, where they didn't panic and they didn't and they didn't let something they didn't let nothing become something. Um, the only times, honestly, right? Like the only two times. Seattle scored tonight came off of fluky things. One yeah. being human human error yep. where Colin Miller made a really bad change. And then yep. the other one being equipment error where Miro Heishkin had a stick break. I yep. mean, it's just two, two fluky things. Um, so that was big. And then the other thing that the stars did tonight that they, they won the faceoff battle statistically in game one, but they allowed Seattle to win some of the key face-offs and their puck their they weren't so as crisp with the puck after they won some of their draws in game one. And tonight they use their face-off advantage to, uh, to the maximum, right? Like uh, it, it's, it obviously set up the goal by Sagan in, in the third period, but just 
the way it killed clock, the way it controlled it controlled things. Um, it's going to be something where we talk about face off in close games, face offs like that are are, are going to be a huge difference. And so the stars got that. And then on top of that, on top of everything, it didn't have to be great. I mean, he made he made the really good blocker save in the, in the third period that will that'll definitely make some highlight reels. Yeah. But um, Jake Ottinger had a bounce back. Jake Ottinger, mm-hmm. we expect that from Ottinger now, and it's it's good. And then there's just so it's I think the stars adjusted, and just like I'm not over, I wasn't overreacting to anything after game one. I mean, this is kind of, I mean. I don't want to overly pat ourselves on the back, but this is kind of what we expected at a game too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I thought the stars did a nice job keeping the most of Seattle's offense to the outside um, oh, yeah. and gave Jake Ottinger yeah. some yeah. Uh, clean looks. So I thought that was yeah. nice. So strategy, can we get more people to live in the Pavelski house? <laughs> so the, uh, I was kind of laughing. I kind of feel bad, like, you know, because obviously and it's the right thing to do. So TNT yeah. tells the story of Wyatt Johnston, um, yeah. you know, living in Joe Pavelski's house. And then Johnston scores. He's the um, interview in between periods. And they ask him about that. And I just thought to myself, I wonder even at 19, if he's not frustrated at this point, like, man, I almost have to move out to, to get these questions off of me because he has been asked that question so many times this year. But it is a wonderful story, and it's so cool that he is very outspoken about how much he's learned from Joe. And, I mean, great job by Jim Nill setting that up. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just it, it's the strategy's paid off, and both Johnston and Pavelski, once again, the stick control, the blade control, call it what you will, Sean, but this wasn't a tip. But to roof a goal that close in is just a such a skill set. Yeah, and he—I mean, he was good tonight. He's been—he's been very good. We yeah. talked about him after game one. Um, it is funny to like you mentioned the having that story told over and over again, and it, it's one of those things that like you're going to run into, um, because as you only have the national TV option going forward, right? Yeah, you're gonna. It's and it's 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 kind of one of the things where I get why it happens, but it's also one of the kind of the bummer things about not having local TV beyond the first round right. because there's nuance and there's stories that get lost in the broadcast because they're not serving the Dallas Stars audience. They're not serving the they're they're not serving the Seattle Kraken audience. They're serving a national audience. So. And and the fact that it it, it it rotates from TNT to, to ESPN and everything like that, I mean, they both are trying. They both they both love the story of Wyatt Johnston living with Joe Pavelski. We're going to hear that story over and over again, almost to like a frustratingly amount. And it just it's it's not that it's a bad story. It's just it's kind of one of the things that like it's kind of one of the bummers about not having local TV because there's nuance and there's things that you miss in the call in the biggest games of the year that you don't get on television because it's just the people from the national broadcast who are serving a different audience. Um, and so that's why you listen to a show like this. Ha Okay. Good transition. <laughs> nice plug. Uh, good plug for the show, right? Yeah. If, 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 uh, 
and but it's, I agree. But to get back to Wyatt Johnson, I I thought, and I with for me for Johnson, um, I went and saw him play a couple times in the OHL last year. He uh, played in Windsor and everything like that, and and by nature of being the best player in the league and where he was, he didn't play that bumper role in the OHL. He he ran things from the half wall. He ran power plays from the half wall and on at five on five play ran through him and everything like that. So to, and he's had, he's had an entire season to get used to it, but the fact that he's shown such a proficiency in doing something um, in that bumper role and kind of finding a fit there the way he has and the way he scored tonight, that's even more impressive considering it's not like they just plug and play this kid from where he'd been playing junior hockey in that spot. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, that that's even more impressive at Wyatt Johnston. And I mean, his game keep like, it's funny too. Like it was such a great, you want narratives, right? Like the fact that the Calder finalists come out and he's not among the finalists and Beneers is right. and that it comes out and it's not going to change. I don't think it changes how Johnston plays. I don't think it changes how Beneers plays, but it is a great storyline of like, yeah. You see, you see, you, you, maybe everyone else should have seen what else is happening here. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a tough year, uh, yeah. what it comes down to. Because I was looking at the three candidates, and and ultimately, I would love to see Wyatt Johnston on that list. And I think there's an amazing argument for him to be on that list. But who do you kick off? I mean, Owen Power. I mean, that's a yeah, pretty I mean, good season for that kid up in Buffalo. So, you know, it's uh. It's just one of those things that I think he's going to prove on the ice that, you know, he's well-deserving, not just of that award, but uh, hopefully some future awards, including, uh, you know, raising a cup over his head. One of the things that I'm so fascinated by, Sean, at 19 years old, if you look at that goal in which he hit the tip and then got the rebounds, he was further out from the net. And while the puck was being cycled on the power play, he found space in between the defensemen. And that allowed him to get that clean tip and then the follow-through and really didn't have any contact. And that's one of the fascinating things I found about Wyatt Johnston. As a 19-year-old kid coming into this league, he really, he's not a, he you know, I mean, he plays well for his size, but he's not an overly big player. But he also doesn't get hit a lot. He finds a way to find open spaces and kind of avoids big hits. He runs really good routes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one, a great that's comparison. What, yes, that's that. That's what Wyatt Johnson does. He runs really good routes all over the ice. You look at um, having watched the watch the goals, his goal from tonight on the power. It was, it was technically a five on five goal because the power power play expired but um just the if you look at the route he takes and that's all about awareness and space and it's something that applies to every level of his game it's and it's frankly the reason he can play in the nhl as a 19 year old because those are the things that you try to teach a guy those are the like the, the routes you take, the paths you take, the space you take when you don't have the puck, those are the things that you're often trying to instill into a rookie in there. You're trying to instill into a rookie, and then you're still you're thinking like, okay, by year two, three, he's going to get this down. He's already got that down 
as a 19 year old. He has in a similar ways where Miro Heshkinen's like defensive ability was like one of those things at 19 where you're like, holy cow, we're not supposed to see this out of a 19 year old. That's the, that's how that's Johnston's awareness and, and how he takes it, takes his pass without the puck. And it's the goal is a great example, but there's so many little things he does where he's in the right spot. He's in the right place. And it's because if you, if you ever like want to really have a good eye, if you want to pick like next time someone's going to a game or you want to pick on your TV, I know it's easier if you go to a game, but if you want to pick a player to ISO on a, why Johnson's a great one. Cause you can just kind of look at and try to get a feel for how he's going, even, even on the plays, like, cause I've done this myself with Johnson a couple of times and I watched him play when I when watched him play, even when on plays where the puck doesn't go to him, he's still always, running the right route and it's an incredibly impressive thing for a 19 year old and it's 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 the reason that he's going to be like he scored the 20 something goals this year right he's maybe a 30 goal scorer next year because of it so elephant in the room because it's going to be brought up tomorrow by everyone jason robertson yeah Yeah. (laughs) and uh my perception is this Uh, i don't even if there was an injury we probably wouldn't know but i will say and Jason Robertson's not the fastest skater on the ice, but he does or did appear to me at times a little bit slow. Um, I didn't see him as aggressive in the corners, and I didn't see him going after the puck as much as I'd like. Um, maybe he's tight with the stick, wanting to score to help his teammates. I wanted to get your thoughts on Jason Robertson because I'm sure the noise will continue to get louder as this series you know, moves along. Yeah, he needs to be better. I mean, it's he needs to be better. Um, the thing that is more concerning for me, like I, I'm okay if a goal scorer is in a slump and they're not putting the puck in the net. That's that's fine. I, I mean, not that it's fine, but it's that's not my issue because my bigger concern about Jason Robertson is the there's more circumstances of him not handling a pass well and the play goes offside. There's times where he's coming down the wing and he's getting angled off on the play instead of making the simple pass to keep it going like he normally would. And so all the little simple things that Robertson normally does that you forget that he does so effectively. Um, and then, and then you remember he's there cause he strikes the fact that he's not doing those little simple things effectively and the fact you're noticing him in other areas, that's more of my concern. That's where my concern is because that, that tells me that things are weighing on him or he's not playing his game. So if you're, if it's, it, it really is, it's a Jason Robertson problem. And as silly as this sounds, it's a problem Jason Robertson has to fix because I yeah. don't, I don't like, I know you want to get, I wouldn't be opposed to putting Pavelski back with Robertson and Henson sees what happened to see what happens everything like that. But I'm going to keep echoing this. Like Jason Robertson has to figure this out himself because this is, this is a space where other players are figuring it out. Why Johnston's figuring it out. I mean, it's 
the stars need more from Jason Robertson. And I don't, I don't think it's the, I honestly don't think it's, Oh, the, the playoffs are more physical. It gets hard. He's like, I, I think it's just, I think it's, a, I don't know the, I can't really diagnose exactly what's wrong, but it's, it's a space where like someone needs to, and Robertson's the person who needs to do it himself. He needs to just basically seize the moment and realize what's happening. Yeah. And I, I hate being the old like curmudgeony, like, oh, this like and yeah, but it, it, sometimes it's true. Sometimes it is true. Sometimes a player is, is who they are and they have to act like it. And he's not acting like it. Well, two questions then. I mean, we saw when Tyler Sagan was in a scoring slump during the year and he scored off in kind of a dirty area, a rebound, or I think it, yeah, it hit off of him and went in. And then all of a sudden he went on the streak. So hopeful that Jason Robertson can get back to the basics and, you know, get a lucky break and maybe a tap in or something like that just to get off the snide. But so Joe Pavelski's playing so well on that second line. Do you move Joe Pavelski up to the first line to kind of give Robertson some support? Um, I, I still, I still don't like the concept of doing it. I'm not opposed to doing it, but as I said on after the last game, or maybe, or, or maybe it was after the other game, I, I don't want to have to make a move to fix Jason Robertson. I want Jason Robertson to fix himself. Like I, I want him to, um, and Stegen's playing well. Hints is playing well. I, 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 I would experiment with it. Honestly, I think you you play around with it, especially when you go on the road for game three and maybe you use it. Maybe you play around with it a little bit to try to get some other looks around since you won't have the last change anymore. Um, so I, I would I would definitely play around with it, but I just don't like that it's come to this, I guess, is where I'll go with that. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very fair. And, uh, you know, I like what. Maybe it is Joe Pavelski, but I mean, I like the way Ty Domi's playing right now. Did I say Ty Domi? Max Domi. <laughs> Max Domi. <laughs> you know what? I Max. bet Ty Domi could give a shift or two. I really do. If you put him on the ice, I've I've asked Ludwig that. I said, could you give me like a shift or two? He's like, I probably could give you a shift, but it would be a rough shift. But yeah, I think I think Max is playing real well, um, and you know maybe that's a credit to uh, Joe Pavelski once again. I just think. You know, Max is playing with more. I see his confidence growing. He's been he's been much better lately. Um, he has been he his transition game's been good. He's been passing really well. Um, I'd like to see. I, I would like to kind of see that. I would like to see them kind of start getting him creating a little bit more. Um, creating a little bit more with his shot as well. And this isn't a critique. It's just like, he's got the confidence passing the puck. Now let's see if you can kind of add, cause he's got a hell of a shot. Like, let's see if you can start adding a little bit of that at that as well. Just using this to hope this, this confidence kind of snowballs with that. Um, I, I, I thought he was, I mean, he's been much better. The guy who I, we've talked about him quite a bit. The other guy who's always going to be looped in, in the Domi conversation is, is Dadanov who, mm-hmm. I mean, He's been so good in the playoffs and just in a real like nerdy technical thing tonight. Like we always see he's been one of the stars, best players in transition throughout the playoffs. Right. And, um, 
but so often he's just uh, he's an off he's he's a rush he's he's a Russian and a lot of times there's a lot of Russian players who play the opposite hand of their wing. So he is a um, so Dadanov is a he's a he's, he's a right winger, but he's but he's a left handed shot. So he he comes down when he comes down the wing, and this is what like if you like Alexander Radulov did this too, right? He was an off handed winger where they're they like playing that way because you come down the wing and it's easier to cut back across the middle for the shot, but it doesn't really create a lot of opportunities um, from below the goal line. Like he had tonight. And, and normally when he's bombing down the right side of the ice, Dadanov's always looking for that cut back to kind of set up the forehand and Jamie Ben and Wyatt Johnston play off it really well. But so tonight I, I loved the, I loved the part where it just kind of caught everyone off guard on that wraparound where, that goal happens because Dadanov has shifted to space after a bad change by Seattle. And he's on, he's now a left-handed shot on the left side. And that's the only reason the wraparound is possible. And every, you could even see it with the Seattle defense. They're used to Dadanov's play and the scout on Dadanov is he's going to curl back. He's going to curl back and he's going to try to set up the cutter coming in. And instead of curling back because he was on his on on his on his uh on his on his left side he burns the defender grubauer bites hard on it and that's where the goal comes it's it's one of those it's one of those things where it's like it's 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 we're getting nerdy here but it's one of those fun nerdy hockey things where forehand versus backhand makes all the difference here and it's it's a play that only happens because dadanov plays most of his time as an offhand winger on the other side. Otherwise that play doesn't develop just nerdy hockey. thing. No, I love I the analysis. You, that's good. I, I, I hope you can segue us back onto, uh, into conversation. No, I think that's great. <laughs> and that's what this is all about to teach. You know, it was so funny. I was, I was on the morning show the other day and uh, I was, you know, they were asking me and Jane Slater from NFL network was in and, and she said she listens to spits and suds to learn and I said, oh, that's so cool. And I was in mid-conversation, and she goes, wait, Gavin, stop. She goes, when you say deep forecheck, what does that mean? <laughs> and I had to take a step back, and I said, you know what? That's right. That's similar to someone talking about a one or three technique in football. So mm-hmm. I, I love the nerdy analysis. I, I think that's how we all learn. That's how we grow for the uh, uh, the great game of hockey. Um, I didn't think Grubauer played that bad tonight. I just thought we put no, a lot was, of pressure on him. Yeah, He I was just, good. He, I, he was good. I mean – yeah, nothing with nothing against him at all tonight. He was good. He was, um, he was frankly the re- one of the reasons the game was as close as it was after the first period. He was he was good. And now he had a much tougher night than Ottinger. And I mean, if you're if you're Seattle, right, and you're looking at it, and you're looking at the goals against, it's hard to really f- put much fault yeah. on on the on, on the goalie here. Um, I will be interested to see for both teams. Um, Seattle will have the Seattle will have the easy coaching session, right? Like, I mean, they're coming out of Dallas with what they wanted. They got their split. They lost game two and they're going to go back to Seattle. And that place is going to be absolutely rocking on Sunday when it happens. And they're going to go back, but they're going to next couple of days, there'll be the conversation and, the discussion about okay, how do we get that four check going? How yeah. do we do this? Yeah, you don't the, the star. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You know, some people have told me they're like, "Well, you're just pessimistic when it comes to 
the Dallas Stars. And I, I just say, well, I'm not a cheerleader. I'm a realist. <laughs> Thanks, Tom Gillardi. Um, <laughs> but I say this, Sean, this reminds me, this game tonight, of the Saturday afternoon tilt on national TV against Colorado. I said after that game, this team can go to the Stanley Cup if they continue to play like they did on that Saturday. Tonight, I saw a lot of those traits. And I'm just going to raise my hand and say, if they continue this, they can go to the Stanley Cup. But for some reason, I just, I mean, I think they play games where they win and everything. But what I saw tonight as far as the physicality and the D4 checks and the pressure and the and the defense, I mean, sure, you're going to have letdowns and everything, but they stayed out of the penalty box for the most. I thought this was a terrific game for them tonight, and I I just don't think they can be stopped if they play this game on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, they've got they've got three they've got three offensive lines rolling even with Jason Robertson's struggles. I mean, I would argue Hints and Sagan have been would would make would give you justification to say that line is quote unquote rolling. You got three lines rolling offensively. Um, you have a fourth line that does its job, whether you like that job or not, they, they do it. And you have, I mean, I was, I'll be honest. Like I didn't know what to expect from I mean, after coming off game one, I expected good things, but I didn't know. I didn't know what type of Joe Pavelski the stars would be getting back. Yeah, that was one of those things where it's like kind of one of those things where you didn't really want to. You kind of like you didn't really want to say the quiet part out loud because like you're talking about a guy who has had a history of head injuries and stuff like that. And you're like, is he if he comes back, what's he going to be and everything like that? And then Joe Pavelski comes back and does what he does. And it's this is it's just he's got five goals in two games and it's it's remarkable and you've got a goaltender it's this stars team they they have a chance like i i watch obviously a ton of hockey and i watch florida and toronto earlier tonight and i watch vegas and in edmonton and yep and and in the new jersey carolina game and you look as far as Dallas is the team right now. It's Dallas is the team for me. That's the hardest one to find the fatal flaws with, right? Like I can find fatal flaws with other teams where you're like, okay, that's the reason they won't win the cup. The stars. I have the hardest time finding that fatal flaw. I can find flaws for sure. I I can start picking things apart completely if you want, but in general, it's, there are things, the stars don't have that quote unquote, kill switch where i could be like all right well that's the reason that this this whole thing is going to have the plug pulled the, mm-hmm. the, it's it's going to it's going to get pulled on him i don't see i mean the only other team that i the only other team and it's the only other team where i kind of see that where i don't see much of the, the kill switch is carolina at yeah. least and i see and, and I, I, I think I that's a tough them. matchup for us and, and and that's you don't want to like you don't count your chickens before they hatch, right? <laughs> so like, it's like like that's that's still that's still a long ways down the road but yeah you still have you still have to deal with the you have a best of five with Seattle right now essentially to figure that out. Yeah, but I I feel good about where the stars are and as and you put it really well. They play this way. This could be a long, fun playoff run. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll say on the opposite side, even down to the final minutes, there's no give up in this Seattle squad, and they keep mm-hmm. coming. And they made the game four to two and. Still pulled the goalie and tried to get another one. And uh, 
you know, they'll come back in Seattle. I'm sure it'll be a rocking barn. And what do they say, Sean, the first 10 minutes? Just uh, hold on for the first 10 minutes, I guess. And let everything settle down after that. Yeah, I mean, that's going to that is going to be one of the things, right? Like they're going to go to Seattle and the stars, the stars don't start games. Well, we've talked about that many, many times and they're going to you can't. You can't let Seattle feed off the crowd and then the crowd feed off Seattle. You got to you have to come in to game three on Sunday with. With that, uh, and you know, Seattle's going to be coming in. They're going to be amped. There's going to be. They've had a couple extra. They have a couple extra days off. I I do think the break in this schedule is a slight advantage for Seattle with the way they play and the way they want to. They want want to revamp and they go home, but um, it. So you you have to be ready for that. Now, the Stars went to Seattle. I think there's also going to be healthy confidence going there. Where it was uh, March. 12th and 14th or 10th and 12th. Yeah. I think it was they, they went there double header. They played their back to back and they won both games. Yep. And, um, assuming the Ben family will be in attendance. I would assume so. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it, it was funny, Gavin, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen some of the reaction to, uh, I'm seeing, I've seen some of the reaction to it on, on, on Twitter right now. Apparently Jamie was interviewed in the post game show or on the, on the TV by the Turner broadcast. And you talk about things that national broadcasts learn rather quickly <laughs> that people who covered the year all cover the team all years. Jamie Ben has no interest in being interviewed. Nope. Ever. So, no. so there, there was apparently, I, I don't know what was actually said and seen, but apparently I'm seeing, I've seen some of the reaction on Twitter as I've got it up on the computer here as we're doing this. And apparently uh, the Turner <laughs> crew kind of learned firsthand that Jamie is not going to bring the energy that a, uh, a Ryan Reeves or a Tyler Sagan was bringing to their post game interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping, and we're a ways away from this, but retirement, Jamie, Ben, <laughs> I, I hope he opens up. We'll I never see I, him again. Gavin, Gavin, we'll never see him again. I, well, Gavin, he, no, he'll live in Dallas. He'll live in Dallas. Yeah. He will. He'll live in Dallas. He'll be happy there, but, and he'll, he'll occasionally show up and he'll, he'll do some good charity stuff on the side, but yeah. we'll never see him again. Okay. You'll never see him again. All right. He is going to, he's going to be happy to live his life. He's going to have his, he's going to have his nice home in Dallas. He'll spend some summers back in, 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 in BC. You'll never see Jamie Ben again after he retires. And so now if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to be wrong. But maybe he just does Vancouver radio interviews like Gallardi. And we find him. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a shot? (laughs) Um, I will say I will say this about a former star. Um, And I can't remember him being this good. But Mike Madonna is a very good interview now. Like he's opened up and Craig was saying this as well because Craig had him on his, on his other podcast, Mike's opened up and he's very forthright about his career and you know, why he's with the wild and the family and he jokes around. And to me listening, it's, it's, it's nice and I enjoy it because um, it sounds like he's living a good life and you know, we get to hear Mike Madonna, the personality. So I was just hoping that for Jamie Ben because he is so short with the media that, um, you know, because sometimes around here, 
you know, people ask like, or oh, who should we go for? And, and, you know, they mentioned Jamie's name and I said, no, I said, no, you, no, no. you know, you don't want to do that. Um, you know, and I'll mention like Pavelski or even Wyatt Johnston's a, a nice interview. Um, Delandria, you know, guys like that, or, or a Glenn Denning, who, by the way, played pretty well tonight. I thought the fourth line handled themselves pretty well. And Glenn Denning almost got one. And, uh, yeah, so I, even the, even the fourth line contributed nice tonight. It was interesting to see. And just want to—it's with the the structure of the uh, of of that of that fourth line, right? Where um, Glenn Denning is a uh, Glenn Denning and Foxer, right? You have one's a lefty, one's a righty, and uh, so because and it's one of the reasons I love the construction of the stars lines, and it's one of the reasons that they're so good at faceoffs. Um, Basically, the stars are very situational in how they take faceoffs. If you're, um, if you're trying to, if if you're a lefty, and you are um, the best faceoff spot for a left-handed player, um, is going to be on on the left side of the is going to be sorry is going to be on the left side of the ice, right? because the referee is not in your way, basically, when you're going through. For a righty, the referee, you almost have to go through the referee's path to win the puck. And so the Stars always have a lefty and a righty on both. The Stars have a lefty and righty on every line. And so it's almost it's almost automatic, where if it's uh, of how, how, how the Stars take face-offs of, they have the person who is taking the more advantageous draw. So on a night like tonight, even though Roddick Fox is the center, Roddick only took three faceoffs. He won all three of them, but he only took three because situationally it made more sense for Glenn Denning to take to take to take more of them. And Glenn Denning ended up going ten for fifteen, sixty-six point or sixty-eight percent or whatever that is. Like it's it's one of the things where I, I I it's a great way just to bring up. I love the construction of how the star. One of the reasons the stars are so good at faceoffs is the construction of their lines. I've seen, I've covered teams and I've, there are some teams who they get killed on faceoffs because they only have a righty or they only have a lefty. And when you have, uh, and one of the things in, about today's NHL, the rules they put in now where to help offensively, you get to pick uh, after an icing and, and a, and a, and a, a faceoff, to start a power play, you get to pick what dot you want to go at. Dallas can pick any dot and they have an advantage. And on the flip side, it's not like an opponent is going to pick. Like I uh, obviously team I've seen a lot of too is the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings this year had zero left-handed centers at all. Only right-handed centers. And um, sorry, no, no right hands, only, only left-handed centers. And so teams, they were just getting every single faceoff and against them and the uh it was picked was on the right side and they just got killed all year on faceoffs because they didn't have they didn't have an uh they didn't have the lefty righty on on each line to do it i love the way the stars lines are constructed and so we talk so much about faceoffs and plays and everything like that but part of it also goes back to the roster was constructed well all the way back to when they built this roster between jim nell and pete DeBoer in their conversation of making sure this was part of the fabric of the team. Um, like I, I saw someone asked about, I just saw some, some discourse about the, uh, should, should Glenn, De- should Kivy Ranta be in and over Glenn Denning? And 
I would argue for the reason I just talked about, Glenn Denning should be in over Kiviranta because Kiviranta is not bringing you that that place where you're controlling possession and you're winning draws the way um, he's with Foxa. So random question to, and to, by the way, um, Florida, once again, uh, beat Toronto and they are up two games to none. I mean, amazing if Florida Panthers are in the Stanley Cup final, let's just say. Long way to go there, but um, pretty awesome for to see Bobrovsky playing the hockey that he did in net when he was with Columbus, where he was basically, you know, shut down and uh, pretty awesome to see him playing that well that way. But, you know, I was thinking tonight um, with the success of Pete DeBoer, with the moves that everything's made, and probably this is a June podcast question, but before I forget, because of my memory, I look at assistant coach Steve Spot and Mm -hmm. prior to Dallas, he was with Vegas with DeBoer. And before that, he was with DeBoer in San Jose and he did really well in the Toronto organization. So is that a guy when the Stars season ends that could be looked at to take the elevation to head coach for another team? No. I mean, he's, he could, I could definitely see that. He was, um, I remember uh, Steve, uh, Steve Spot. I, I, I got to not know Steve Spot, but I covered against him firsthand when. Um, that 2014 Texas Stars team won the Calder Cup. They played t- Toronto team coached by Steve Spot, and that was uh, that was Spot's only uh, head uh, head head coaching experience as a pro. Right? He's got he's got a bunch of junior and everything like that, and he's always been kind of DeBoer's right hand man and everything like that. But yeah, you look at some of these these openings, and he's someone who I could easily see get an interview for an NHL job. Now, one thing stars have as a policy, and I think it's actually a pretty good policy and it's a good policy in life to have on things is Jim Nill has a blanket policy that he will let his people interview for an equivalent job. Sorry, not an equivalent job for a better job. And that's, I think it's a great policy to have because you want to elevate people. You want people to feel like you're giving them opportunities, how they do better work for you. So if and when some of these openings start to get dissected and everything like that, I mean, spots put a lot of the time in, and it wouldn't surprise me. And the stars aren't going to say no to, to any team asking to interview him for a head coaching job. Yeah. My my other, and I wanted to get your thoughts, but I thought it's really cool to see uh, Jennifer Botterill in the analyst position tonight. You know, she does such a great job in hockey night in Canada and a lot of people don't see her in America and you just look at her resume and it's so impressive. Three gold medals and a bunch of other medals. And she just does such a nice job. I I think she describes, and I thought as the game flowed on TV, she actually got better with her analysis. Um, It was a fast game up and down. So there really wasn't a lot of time at times to, you know, talk, but I thought she did a really nice job and I, I, I like where we're going, where we're bringing in these analysts with a, you know, from the female side with a lot of experience, gold medals, professional hockey. I, I just think it's cool because the great game of hockey is growing at the college hockey level. But one thing that needs to be talked about is how hockey is growing as far as, you know, females in the sport. 
and youth hockey specifically is, you know, massively growing in that area. So I just think it's cool when people watch the game tonight to see Jennifer in action. Yeah. And she, I mean, she's, she's a really good analyst. Like yeah. That's, that's that, that, that's, I mean, it's, and she's great on hockey night in Canada. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to be clear too. It's, it's nothing to do with like, I mean, it's, it's the space where her playing resume is the unfortunate reason is the unfortunate reason a woman has to get the opportunity up like that. Yeah. I mean, it's to, um, but she is a tremendous analyst. She's definitely earned, earned that role. Um, I like I I thought tonight's I mean sometimes I I don't like to I, I personally don't like to rip on bad broadcasts because I know it's I think sometimes I think it's it's easy for someone to sit and rip on a broadcast and if you if you haven't done it before it, it's not it's not easy it really it's 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 not a easy job but so I, I try to. I don't, I don't like to rip on bad ones, but I do like to praise good ones. And I thought as far as broadcast goes tonight, like we just talked about Botterill and she does a really nice job. Alex Faust calls a really good game. Yeah, he's he does. Kings, he, he's the Kings play by play, play by play guy. He calls a really good game. I like his game. And then um, someone, and then someone who I actually know. So obviously I'll throw the caveat of a little bias here, but um, Tark is a, uh, Tark Al-Bashir is who is, did did sideline today mm-hmm. he's he's uh he covers the capitals full-time and everything like that but he's he does a pretty good job yeah as he's one of those people he's one of those people who actually um is multi-talented enough to cover this sport as a writer and a broadcaster he does a nice job so i thought we've done a really i thought they've done a really nice job and yeah like it's 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 interesting and to get on my slight soapbox just to give credit where credit's due here I really like. You can hear my pause right now because I want to make sure I'm not I'm not stepping on any toes, but I'm going to say it. I prefer when the stars are on Turner right now because I feel like I still have a chance to learn something from the Turner broadcast. I feel like I get, I feel like the Turner broadcast is delivered in a way where I, as a hockey fan who has followed the game their entire life, is going to learn something, where the ESPN broadcast it feels more popcorn to me more empty calorie to me and so I want to give that credit to Turner and I think it's I I get I get way more from the Turner broadcast because a they brought in play-by-play people that are actually hockey people the Alex Fausts of the world the uh, Brendan Burks of the world and then they've also done a good job of even though the studio show is known for a little bit of the hijinks at the end of the day they do it they actually do break things down effectively and so i just i know it's a bit of a tangent but it's just something that i was thinking about i noticed where there's times when i'm watching the espn broadcast and it goes to a commercial and then it comes back from a commercial and the only thing drawing me back is the sport where at least the turner broadcast yep someone who loves the game and watches the game as much as i do i still feel like i'm learning things from the turner broadcast absolutely they they have done a great job also replicating inside the nba um you know with paul bissonette on the broadcast i thought henrik lundquist has improved throughout the season anson carter's really solid um you know and liam McHugh, kind of similar to ernie johnson in hoops kind of makes it happen you know um good straight man so 
I, I agree. I think their broadcast is much better than ESPN. Even the sound quality from the game itself, I think, is better mm-hmm. uh, on TNT. So I, I like the games. I was actually talking with a friend about that today, how there's a big difference in, in quality um, for TNT. So it's good to see you know, the stars highlighted in that area. Well, on to Seattle, my friend. We um, kind of get the weekend off. We'll be together on Sunday late evening, hopefully not early Monday morning, and then back <laughs> at it on uh, yeah. on uh, on Tuesday. But uh, you are a beast, and uh, thank you, as always, uh, uh, for joining us with uh, Spits and Suds. Let's uh, give a, a quality plug tonight, as we always do, <laughs> for the book. Um, it's, jeez. Uh, we win here. Yeah, where uh, it's uh, we win here. Um, check that out. Uh, obviously, it's been it's been out for a little little a uh, little under a month, almost a month now, and it's been really cool to see uh, people uh, picking the book up, reading some stuff. That's been fun. Once again, it's we win here. Co-wrote it with Stephen Meserve. You can get it at wewinhere.com. and then it's been uh, and then also just. We we talk here on the podcast, and you do a great job letting me plug in all these other stuff too. But it's been fun too between between this podcast, between putting together the uh, some of the post game stuff just over at the at my site uh, over at Shap Shots. That's been pretty fun too. So appreciate everyone who's been yeah. reading. Appreciate everyone who's listening. And it's been it's uh it's 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 fun to keep doing this. So once yeah. again, you know, thank thank you thank you to everyone. Absolutely. And and just a little tease about Sean's book. A lot of the book has to do with current Dallas Stars. In fact, Jake mm-hmm. Ottinger, where would there be a Jake Ottinger if there still was a Jack Campbell? And Sean mm-hmm. dives into that and stories from Texas. Um, great to see the other night. They basically sold out the barn against oh, yeah. uh, Rockford. I mean, that's such a the Stars organization has done a great job down there. Um, and it's it's awesome to see. Super excited about uh, our guy Curtis McKenzie got a goal the other day, so excited about that. Excited to talk to Curtis on the uh, podcast coming up uh, when they're done with that and the stars are uh, hopefully not done for a while. So uh, go pick up a copy of the book. It's called We Win Here, or you could check them out on EP Ringside or Shap Shots or D Magazine. He's Sean Shapiro. I'm Gavin Spittle. We will talk to you again soon. Once again, stars. Impressive tonight. Tie up the series at one. Have a great day, everyone.